You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. I will tell you that all through the Word of God, God uses the marital imagery to, to, to give us a glimpse of our relationship with Him. We see over and over that we are referred to as the Bride of Christ. We see in Jeremiah, I think it's 3.20, don't quote me, it's in Jeremiah somewhere, where he says to Israel, you have played the role of a harlot. You've cheated on me. Hosea, the book of Hosea, is all about the prophet, God calling a prophet and saying, go find yourself a wife of unfaithfulness and marry her. Go get yourself a prostitute and marry her because I want to give you a taste of what my people do to me. Oh, does that grieve anybody besides me? That that's what we do to God day in and day out. I, I just, that grieves my soul. I can't even tell you what that does to me. But we have a God who's like that prophet who stood by that, that, that harlot and loved her even when she didn't love him well. We have a God who loves us. Can I tell you that he loves us? This is not a message that, 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 that is void of grace. I, I just believe you're stronger than that. I believe that you are in a higher place, that, that you are spiritually mature, and I don't need to preach to you about grace that, that, that has saved you. I want to preach to you about a grace that keeps you, that keeps you. That no matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you do. We've established that. I've preached on that time and time again. That that we are saved by grace and it's not by works. So that no man can boast. There is nothing that you and I can ever do to cause ourselves to be good enough to earn heaven. We are saved by grace. Can I tell you that nobody appreciates that more than me? If you have a life like I have, if you lived and did the things that I've done, you would understand the importance of being saved by grace. Because if anybody deserves hell, you are looking at her up here. But I have been saved by grace. His grace, his his unbelievable, amazing grace saved me. I couldn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He saved me. And there is nothing that I can ever do to change it. It keeps me. But I will tell you that, that, that we cheat grace out if that's where we stop. And so many of us stop right there. Now hear me say that I am not preaching a message on works tonight. I am preaching a message on the saving, amazing grace, the same grace that saved you, the same grace that keeps you, is now empowering you to do what God has called you to do. Do you love that? I read today that that when Barnabas went, went into, I think it's in Acts chapter Three, it's an act somewhere. Barnabas goes in and, and the word says that, that he, he saw the evidence of grace in the people's lives. In other words, he went into a town that he hadn't been to in a while and he was looking at their lives and saying, wow, did they ever change? They look more like Jesus than they ever did before. Do you just love that? 
That's what grace should do to us. You, you should look a little bit more like him every single day. Not because you're working for it. Not because you, you're, you're, you're I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this kind of thing. But because you've allowed the same grace that saved you and you didn't deserve it to now begin to empower you to look more like him and to act more like him. Augustine says that, that, that God does not demand what he does not uh, 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 provide. If God is gonna ask you to do something, I promise you he will provide the ability to do that. And he does that through grace. It's his empowering. It, it, it's his empowering grace. It empowers you to walk out what this Bible tells you to do. That's not works, dear one, because it's not you doing it. You couldn't do it if you wanted to. It's the same grace that saved you working inside of you to make you look more like him. Do you just love that? I need to look more like him. Can I tell you, I am fully aware uh, that, that I need to look more like him. I don't know about you. I'll just preach to myself tonight because that's what I do. Anything I preach up here, it's because it's first preached to me. You just get lucky enough to get my crumbs. But, but I will tell you that I want to talk to you about spiritual adultery. Does everybody know what adultery is? See, some of you have felt the pain of adultery. You felt the sting of adultery. Some of you have been left because of adultery. Some of you are still in marriages, but, 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 it, but it has the wound of adultery. Some of you have a spouse or, 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 or a friend or, or a relative or, or a friend who has suffered because of adultery. Are you following? Do you know what adultery is? Are we all on the same page? Adultery is when a man and wife are in covenant. Oh, can I tell you that we have a covenant with God? Where he is a covenant-keeping God. I, I always tell Davy he wears his wedding band. I wear my wedding band, and it is a constant, it is a constant reminder of the covenant that he and I share together. This wedding band is unbroken. It, it, it's a round circle that doesn't end. It doesn't have a start and a finish because of the covenant that Dave and I are in is, is to be unbroken at all times. Do you, do you understand covenant? And God is a covenant-keeping God. He's a covenant-keeping God. But, but, but over and over in the, in the Word of God, we see references to us committing spiritual idolatry. Uh, uh, places, uh, adultery is a place where, where a man and wife who are committed in marriage, who, who are in a covenant marriage, where one of them, either the man or the woman, goes outside of the marriage to find fulfillment. And they break that covenant. Now, I, I, I will tell you that you and I know where adultery usually ends. It ends in bed, uh, rolling around in the sack, doing things they should not do. But I will tell you that adultery doesn't start in the sack having sex of a lifetime. Can I just tell you that? That is not where adultery starts. Does everybody understand that? You see, adultery starts way back here. Back here, where, where, where a man or a woman starts looking at their spouse thinking, hmm, you're not pleasing me anymore. My love for you is growing kind of cold, and you're not doing it for me anymore. And you know what? This over here looks a little bit more appealing to me. Forget that I have a covenant with you that God, by the way, takes very, very seriously. Uh, forget that I have a covenant with you. I just, you know, you're just not doing it for me anymore. And you know what really happens is, is we become... Uh, uh, we become like 
at Jekyll and Hyde. You see, we, we pledge our love to that person. We go home and we say, I love you, baby. And we, 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 we say all the right things. We might even do all the right things. But you see, the second you get out of that person's presence, you're over here flirting with disaster. You see, the second you might be pledging and saying all the right things. Who knows that we can stand before God and we can say all the right things. We can say, Lord, we love you. Lord, we are committed to you. Lord, we'll do anything for you. But the second we get out of his presence and the world and all that it has to offer entices. You see, that's what happens in adultery. They're enticed by what looks better. They're drawn away by what looks better. They're deceived by what looks better. Who knows that anytime we leave the presence of God and we chase after the loves of this world, oh, it might look better, it might seem better, but who knows it's a deception from the pit of hell. There is nothing this world can offer me that is better than what I get from him. He is the only one that can fulfill me. But you see, what happens is we sit in church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and, and our love for him grows cold. You see, uh, we, we get busy with life. We get, we get busy with all the world has to offer. We get drawn away and enticed by all the world has to offer, and our love begins to grow cold, just like the adulterer or the adulteress's love grows cold. And they begin to look and think, huh, wonder what that would be like. And they get drawn away, enticed by, by a woman who says all the right things or, or looks all the right way. Can I just tell you, men, that, that women, we work very hard to draw you in. Well, when I was dating Dave, he never saw me without makeup. And he only saw me with my hair looking just perfect. And, and I was on my, I was crossing my T's and dotting my I's. And, and I was flirtatious and I was sweet and I was loving. Can I tell you that the adulteress will do that to you, men? But you see, when I said I do, he saw me in sweatpants, my hair pulled back in a ponytail, no makeup, and, and I will tell you sometimes grouchy and with PMS. Everybody with me. Because a covenant should be a safe place that I can be me and know you are still going to love me. That's what covenant is all about. Can I tell you, with my Jesus, you can be you and he is still going to love you. There is absolutely nothing that you and I could ever do that would ever separate us from the love of God. He's not going to cheat on you, I promise you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never, ever relax his hold on you. He is the perfect husband. The perfect husband. But you see what happens when you're in an adulterous relationship, you take your passions and your, your devotion and your, your, your energies from this person who you should be committed to and you take them over here and you waste them and squander them on other lovers. Hmm. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken the love and the devotion that you know you should have for God and squander it? on the loves of this world? Have you ever taken the affections and the energies that we should be giving to the kingdom of God and squandered them on this world? That's what I wanna to talk to you about for the next couple of weeks is spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. I, I, I just wonder if you can find yourself 
in that story. Maybe you can't, maybe you're sold out, committed, laid down lover of Jesus who is absolutely faithful and loyal to him at every turn. If you've ever talked to somebody who's been cheated on, one of the, th the things they'll tell you is that they have a, a good friend who was cheated on. And I watched her continue to love and love and love and love and pour out love to that person who I would have smacked silly. And she just oozed love to that person. While she was in pain, excruciating pain, she continued to love well because that's what covenant love does, doesn't it? And I think the times that I have chased after the loves of this world, materialism, success, whatever the love of this world is that draws you away. Greed, what is it? What is the love of this world that draws you away? What entices you away from that place of devotion and commitment to the Lord? And he's just like my friend. He continues to love us in spite of it. He continues to faithfully be there for us in spite of it. But can you imagine what it does to his heart? This week, he was talking to me about what that does to his heart when I do that. And, and so that's where this series came from. I, I, as I said, can you open your Bibles to James chapter 4? James is just right behind Hebrews, for those of you who have, their, have your Bibles. James chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war against your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers, he's going to use the language here. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself, oh, does this grieve anybody but me, makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Oh, aren't you glad he gives more grace? He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. James says, where do the wars and fights come from among you? I, I like the God's word translation. It says, aren't they caused by the selfish desires that fight to control you? Does anybody know besides me that you and I have some selfish desires inside of us? And they war to try to control us. He says, do you know what causes the wars and the fights among you? What causes that unrest within you? The instability, the confusion, the commotion, the wars within you. Does anybody have a war going on inside of you even now? Paul says, I want to do the right thing, but I do what I don't want to do. Why is that? It's because 
You have a war going on inside of you. He says, do you know what causes that? And, and then he, he, he ties this passage to the one right before it. He talks about true wisdom and false wisdom. He talks about wisdom from above and wisdom from below. Uh, and I want to just look at that because I don't believe that we can adequately look at, at chapter 4 until we go back to chapter 3 and just pick up a couple verses. So let's look back at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and in wisdom. He's saying, if you're wise and you understand God's ways, prove it. Prove it by demonstrating good behavior, by living a good life. He says, let, it sh let him show it by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts... Do not boast and lie against the truth. I, I, I love that. It means to slander against the truth. It, 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 he's saying uh, the, the God's word translation says, don't say you're wise when it isn't true. In other words, he's saying, if you have bitter envy and, and uh, self-seeking in your hearts, but you say that you're wise and that you understand the things of God, you're, you're really speaking falsehood. You're really slandering the truth. You, you really are not wise even though you're saying you are. Because if you were wise, you would have no room in your life for self-seeking and bitter envy. He says you're deliberately attempting to, to deceive. If you're wise, don't think for a moment that you understand God's ways unless your behavior proves otherwise. And if you understand God's ways, dear ones, you are not, I am not going to let any self-seeking, self-promoting, selfish ways in my life. I'm not gonna have bitter envy in my life. He says, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And he says, if you're behaving like this, if you're self-seeking, if you have bitter envy, oh, can I tell you, I can spot bitter envy, bitter anything a mile away. It'll destroy your life. It almost did mine. He said, if you have that in your life, you are not wise and, 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 and you are not being led by wisdom above. He says, this kind of wisdom is earthly. It's sensual. And here's what I really hate, it's demonic. That word earthly, it means the wisdom of man, liable to error and it's misleading. Sensual means wisdom and harmony with corrupt desires and affections and springing from them. Demonic resembles or proceeding from an evil spirit. I wish that I could change that one, I can't, it's God's word. And he says, if you are self-seeking, self-promoting, if we have bitter envy in our heart, if there's strifes and disorder in our life, it, it, you can count on the fact that, that that is from the enemy. It's demonic in nature. It's the wisdom of men, and the wisdom of man will always mislead you. Let me give you an example of this. This summer, I was hurt, maybe back in May, I was, I was hurt very, very, very deeply, more deeply than I can even begin to tell you. I was hurt by somebody. Somebody I never in my life dreamed would hurt me. And it hurt to the core of my being. Anybody understand that kind of pain? I pretty much just wanted to die. Anybody with me, have you ever been in that kind of pain that you just would sooner die? 
I was in that kind of pain, asked Leslie. And if I told you what happened, you would all sit there and say, oh, Rhea, you had a right to be angry, because I got angry. You had a right to say some nasty things, because I did. You had a right to be bitter and unforgiving, because I was. But you see, that's the wisdom of man. And that's demonic in nature and earthly and sensual. But I promise you that if I told you what happened, you'd, you would be in agreement with me. You would say, you have a right. And trust me, I spent the whole summer saying, I have a right. And I was pretty ticked off. Leslie, Dave, I was pretty ticked off. Ticked, 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 ticked off. And I was unforgiving. Because I was like, this person does not deserve me to forgive them. Lord, can you nail them? Vengeance is yours. Can you? Any time now, Lord. And I was full of unforgiveness. And quite honestly, I was probably full of some hatred. And I was bitter. If you would have run into me this summer, you would have said, what happened to that chickie? Because I was bitter. I was done about as dirty as I could ever have been done. And I felt justified. You see, that's when we get when it gets dangerous, when, when we feel justified to not forgive somebody, when we feel justified to stay angry with, with somebody, when we feel justified to say whatever is on our heart and however we want to say it, when we feel justified to have bitter envy, selfish, selfish desires in our life. And I really let the wisdom of man guide me because I was like, I have a right. But you see what happened is that wisdom really betrayed me because I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. I would say to Leslie, I'd say to Dave, I don't understand why God's word is so dead. I can't live like this. I would sooner do anything than have God's word be dead. I would sooner live in pain every day of my life than have God's word be dead and God not speak to me. Lord, where are you and why are you not speaking to me? And I was miserable. Anybody ever been miserable like that? And it was because I had this bitter garbage in my heart. I had this unforgiving garbage in my heart. And it was not serving me well. Let's pick back up. I'll return to that story a little bit later. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. In verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, that word self-seeking is self-promotion, because anytime we, we, we act in, a, in opposition to God's word, we really are acting selfishly. We really are promoting what Rhea wants and not what God wants. And, and where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing, every evil thing, are there. That word evil thing, it means worthless, of no account. Can I tell you, I spent my whole summer, and I'm just being honest with you, I spent my whole summer really of no account. Not producing anything that was worthwhile. Not proud of that. But you see, that's what the word of God says. It says, where envy and self-seeking, self-promotion exists, confusion and everything are there. But the wisdom, 
that is from above is first pure. I love that. It means free of fault because no matter what was done to me, can I tell you, I was not free of fault because I said some things I wish I hadn't said. I, I did some things I wish I hadn't done and I was not free of fault and that made me absolutely miserable after it was out of my mouth. Then it's peaceable, and that word peace, peaceable, it means it brings peace with it. I, I didn't have much peace all summer long. I promise you I didn't. It brings peace with it. When you're walking in the wisdom of God, it will always be free of fault. It will always bring peace with it. It will be gentle. It will be willing to be, it'll be willing to yield. Oh, I like that one especially because my heart was not willing to yield this summer. I knew what God said, I knew what his word said, but I was ticked off and I was not willing to yield. That was not wise, trust me. That was not wisdom from above. Most of what gets me in trouble, steals my peace and stirs up strife in my life is due to my failure to yield. Notice wisdom from above is full of mercy, it's full of kindness. And it has good fruits. And this is my favorite. It means the fruit of one's loin. I asked Karen if I could use her tonight. Do you see our sweet little Karen? See that little baby inside of her? We prayed for this baby. We prayed for it. We're just celebrating. She has what, three more weeks? Come up here, two more weeks. Did they not even tell you you wouldn't even carry that baby to term and look at it? That word, good fruits, the wisdom that comes from above will always produce good fruits. And that means the fruit of one's loin. Can I tell you, this is the fruit of Caleb's loin. Right here, this baby inside of her. In other words, it's always going to produce an offspring. A good offspring. We can't wait till this baby pops out because it's a good offspring. We, we can't wait to celebrate this child. It's good fruit from Caleb and Karen. And that's what wisdom from above will do. It will always get you pregnant with something good. It will always produce good fruit in your life. Good offspring. Can I tell you the offspring that came off my life this summer was not good. It was not good. Aren't you glad we can be free? I am so glad that I don't need to stand up here and put up a facade for you all. I'm so glad that I can tell you that I struggled this summer because you know what? It gives you freedom to struggle and come out on the other side. You can look at my life and say, you know what? You don't need to stay stuck. Rhea didn't stay stuck. She did for a month or two, but she's back up. She's back up, bless them, back up. I, I am back up. And can I tell you, that person who did me dirty, we do not battle against flesh and blood. I finally got it clear. Took me a while, but I finally got it clear that I don't battle against flesh and blood. I battle against principalities and evil forces. I've got an enemy of my soul who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And can I just tell you, I am back up. And I have every intention in my life to give him a black eye for what he did. Because my battle was not against that person. I spent my summer battling that person but now my energies are redirected they're redirected and he's going to regret the day he ever did this in my life I promise you he will he will it's always going to produce good fruit Here's my favorite. It's without hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy means to play a part, play acting. Oh, can I tell you how fed up I am of that in the church? That we play a part, that we try to look super spiritual. We try to look good on the outside, but on the inside, well, we're just playing a part. We, are, we, we have a spiritual facade up. We're a cheap imitation 
of the real thing. I really don't ever want that in my life. I don't know about you, but I can spot a fraud a mile away. Can you? Uh, My husband and I, uh, we bought a desk for my office, and uh, my office furniture was cherry, and I needed a new desk. And and so we went to... um, Steinhoffels uh, to get a new desk and, and and I was really it was a busy time in my life and I didn't have a lot of time to shop I, I needed to add other things on my 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 my, my life or, or my schedule that I needed to do and so Dave wanted to go get this desk and so I agreed to meet him at Steinhoffels and but I was like a woman on a mission I had I knew what I was going to go do I wanted a desk I wanted it to be a good price get in and get out and 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 move on I just that's what I wanted and so we went to Steinhoffels we went to the home office section at Steinhoffels and and I spotted this cherry desk and it was beautiful it looked really good it was the same color as my my cherry stuff in my office and the price tag was right and I was like buy that baby and I gotta go and 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 Dave is over there and he's pulling the drawers out and he's looking up underneath it and I'm like Davey come on I gotta go and he's like Rhea you don't want this desk and I'm like I do want that desk it's cherry it's fine the price is right and he's like Rhea you don't want this it's it's it is particle board <laughs> it's a it's a spirit it's a it's a veneer it's a cherry veneer it, it looks really good from a distance but he said Rhea if you get up close and you inspect it what you realize is it's a cheap imitation of the real thing you want real wood you don't want a veneer Rhea and, and when he said that, all I could think about was the word hypocrisy and the church that, that I preach to and how sometimes, I'm just saying sometimes, maybe it's not you, but sometimes we can play the part. We can have a spiritual veneer. We can be a cheap imitation of the real thing. But you know what? When trials come, well, when, when tribulations come, when pain comes, and somebody gets up close and inspects us, we're a cheap imitation of the real thing. We just have a spiritual veneer. We're full of hypocrisy. Wisdom from above is always without hypocrisy. Uh, Motier, one of my favorite commentators says, it's not trying to be two different people with an outward life maintained for appearance, but an inward heart kept secret and looking very different. If you know anything about people that have affairs, they, they really keep appearances up. They, they act like they're really devoted and they're loyal to their, 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 their spouse, <laughs> but really they have a secret life going on. That's hypocrisy. And sometimes that's what we do to God. Wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I I really, really like that. That word peace means exemption from the rage and havoc of war. It means security, safety, prosperity. A harvest of righteousness, you know that righteousness is being right with God. It's right living. It's conduct that's pleasing to God. You see, there will be a lack or an absence of quarrels and bitter envy and nastiness when we choose to sow peace. Peacemakers and those who sow peace wherever they go, the Bible promises that we will reap a harvest of righteousness. We, that, that we will walk in a conduct that's pleasing to God. Listen to that. When my life lacks evil, vile practices, it produces conduct that's pleasing to God. My conduct this summer was not pleasing to God, I can guarantee you. 
Now go into verse 4-1 that we read. He, he begins to now show us where our refusal to sow peace will get us. So he ends by saying, make sure you sow peace and you produce a harvest of righteousness because he says those wars and those fights within you, they come, they come because of that, because you refuse to sow peace. That word war, it, it means aggressive attack. It means quarrels or dispute. It means strife. Fights mean word wars or combat or contention. It means bad feelings towards others or verbal disputes. Uh, can you find yourself in either of those words? Either of those descriptions? He says, where do those things come from in your life? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war against your, your members? Do you see that that word pleasures there? It really means, uh, it comes from the word uh, in the Greek, hedonai. If I spelled it for you, it, it looks like our word hedonism. And that's exactly where we get our word hedonism. Do, do you know what hedonism is? Is everybody with me? I looked it up in Webster's just to give you an accurate definition, and it means the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole or chief good in life. Hedonists are devoted to pleasure. They think they're entitled to it. And that has to be what their life is consumed with. It's all about me. I deserve to be happy. I'm going to be happy. And can I tell you that if you have all those things that we've just read about, bitter envy, strife, contentions, ward wars, fights and wars among you and inside of you, if you're dealing with all those evil things and those evil practices, I promise you it is because you are trying to let those pleasures, those desires, those lusts in your life, you want them fulfilled, you're catering to them. He says, where do they come from? They come from your desires for pleasure, that war against your members. That, that, that word against your members, what he's saying is those impulses, that the seed of those desires are, are rooted deep within you in certain areas of your life. You see, when we have, when we have lust, when we, when we have desires and pleasures that are not from God, when we, when we seek after the things of this world, it's because somewhere in our life we have allowed the enemy entrance. We've given him a place to function and work from in our life. And those things, things will war against our members. He gets inside and he gets an area of weakness and begins to multiply and capitalize on it. And what happens is there starts to be a war in our life because we know what we should not do and yet we do it anyway and it starts this war inside of us. And it all goes back to chapter three where he talks about selfishness. He's saying all of those things, all those passions are rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness in that hedonistic lifestyle that it's all about me and I deserve to be happy and I lust after this, I want it and I'm gonna get it. I desire this and I'm gonna chase after it and I'm not gonna be happy till I get it. But I want you to notice those things are never fulfilled. Those unrestrained passions and lusts will never, ever be fulfilled in your life. You'll continue to chase after them. It's like chasing after the wind. He said you lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain it. It's, it can't be fulfilled. It's never going to be fulfilled in you. You fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. But what is so interesting to me is how we quote that scripture. Oh, you don't have because you don't ask. Just ask of the Lord and you'll get it. That is not what that scripture means. 
I want you to look at it. I asked Don to put it up on the screen for us. Don, do you have it? It's James chapter four. I want you to look at that scripture. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Look at that word ask. You ask, look at that, and do not receive because you ask amiss. Do you see that? that you may spend it on your pleasures, okay? That, that really means squander it on your pleasures. It's a picture of what the um, prodigal son did when he went to the pig pen. He squandered his inheritance. And, and what he's saying is, you, you want God. You're, you're, you're chasing after these lusts and these desires, and, and you're holding on to, to wars and, and contentions and arguments and quarrels, and it's because those lusts and your selfishness inside of you wants to get your own way. And then you go to God and you pray, but really, you're not interested in doing his will, Rhea. You're not interested in forgiving. You're interested in vengeance. And you see, you're asking amiss because you're asking because you want to squander it. You want to spend it on your own desires. So interesting to me, those three asks there. The reason I, I pulled it out to you, he, there, there are three different uh, asks. He, he says, you ask, <laughs> and that first one is the middle voice. You do not have because you do not ask. And that word ask means to beg with the idea of demanding. You, you demand of God. You ask, the second one is the active voice. And the third one is the middle voice. Now, now some of you, that isn't going to make much sense to you. And you're going to be, what's the big deal? It's middle, it's active, who really cares? It's all the same definition. Yes, it is. But those voices are so important because the first ask you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight more. Yet, you do not have because you do not ask. That's the middle voice. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That, that ask amiss is, again, the middle voice. But what's interesting to me is that second one. You ask and do not receive. That word ask means it denotes the word without the spirit of prayer. Without the spirit of prayer, you can ask anything according to my will, and it'll be given to you. You see, when we have all those lusts and those passions warring within us, when we're fighting and bickering and we're, we're harboring uh, envy and, and bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness, when we are full of strife and contention, I promise you we will ask amiss. We'll ask amiss. He says, you ask, but to, you don't get what you ask because you ask amiss. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteress, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Oh, th this, just, this just grieves me. That word enmity means hatred. It's a strong word. And it's used to describe enemies at war. It's a picture of two nations opposing each other. Are you with me? Uh, Rick Renner, one of my favorite commentators, says, James is using this word to express the feelings and emotions God possesses towards a believer who transfers his devotion and passion from him to the world, the one who commits spiritual adultery. Renner goes on to say, by using this word, James tells us that if a believer chooses, listen to this, if a believer chooses to make his relationship with the world a greater priority than his relationship with God, he is making a choice 
that will put him in direct opposition to God. One in which God views as an act of war. See, I don't think you got that. You see that when we have these, these lusts and these passions for pleasure that war within us, and when we chase after the things of this world and we think, I deserve this, I, I, I deserve to be happy, I, I want the pleasures of this world, I, I want to fulfill the lusts of my, my flesh, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, hedonism, what that does is it makes us an enmity with God. It puts us in direct opposition with God. You see, some of you are rebuking the devil right now in your life, and you can rebuke him till your rebuker is worn out because I promise you what this word means is that when we choose to do that, when we commit spiritual adultery and we chase after the things of this world, we put ourselves in direct opposition with God, and he'll resist us. Remember, it's a military term. It's a term of war. Are you following me? Am I explaining this clearly enough with you? Are you, are you following me? Because you really need to get this because it's so good. Because when I chase after the things of this world, when I chase after the lusts and the passions, when, when I commit spiritual adultery, when I look for my affections to be fulfilled elsewhere, when I leave God's presence and I confess my loyalty to him and leave his presence and I show my devotion to the things of this world, I'm in direct opposition with God. When I choose to say, God, they hurt me, they did me dirty, and I know your word says that I should forgive them, but you know what? I'm pretty ticked off. Opposition to God. Because I've chosen worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And it's going to get me in trouble every last time. And when I set myself in opposition to God, it starts this battle, this war, and it's not a good one. You don't ever want to go up against God. Because what happens in war? What is the whole principle of war? When you, if the United States went to war against somebody, what is the purpose of that? To get that other person to surrender, right? And you see, when we are in direct opposition with God, his whole purpose is to get us to surrender. Rhea, will you do it my way? Rhea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist you right now. I'm going to let that word grow cold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you not hear from me for a little while. I'm still there. I'm Emmanuel, God with you. But I'm just going to let you not sense my presence for a little tiny bit because I'm going to resist you so you can surrender to my word so that you can finally understand that my way is the best way. That worldly wisdom will defeat you every time, Rhea, because it's demonic in nature and it'll lead you down the wrong path. But if you just choose my way, Rhea, if you choose my way oh the empowerment that will come because I give grace to the humble and you see grace is his empowering power it'll empower you I can go to that person who did me dirty and I can love the daylights out of them because you see I got grace because God has given me grace because I've submitted to his will I've come under his lordship I've said I'll choose your wisdom Lord because I believe it's good and I'm not going to go the way of the world and say I have a right oh so some of you think you have a right some of you were done just as dirty as I was, maybe more, and you think you have a right to be ticked off and to hurt them deeply and to respond in like manner, but I promise you it's demonic in nature. God's way says forgive because I've forgiven you, show mercy. 
because love overcomes a multitude of wrongdoing. You see, God's way always works. And Rhea, I'm going to resist you all summer long. Leslie, how many million times did I say to you, Leslie, you got to pray for me. This word is dead. I don't understand. I'm up every morning. He's not talking to me. There is nothing. I'm not getting anything out of his word. I can't even pray. We went to a prayer meeting, and I just shut my mouth because I'm like, I can't even pray. Now, who knows? I have no trouble praying. I couldn't pray all summer long. I was afraid to open my mouth to pray. I didn't know God was resisting me because he wanted me to surrender. Rhea, baby, I got good for you. This is not good. What you're embracing is not good. It's not good, and I'm going to resist you till you surrender. And then I'll give you grace to do what I've called you to do. I promise I'm closing, but just turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. I just want to show you one last thing, and then we're going to continue in this passage next week. But Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews is just back one chapter. I went over this with the team last two weeks ago, but I want to just show you something here. Verse 14, he says, pursue peace with all people. Pursue it. That means to chase it down. It means to run after it with everything you have. And that peace is the same word that we just read about in James. And, and it means absence of war and havoc. Pursue peace with one another. And here's my favorite, and holiness. Oh, I love it. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here's what I just love. I just got to tell you, this is so good. I, I feel like I'm going to burst if I don't get to tell this. But, but, but he says, pursue peace with one another. Chase it down. Dog that thing till you get it. Pers you know what? You can hurt me all you want. I am pursuing peace with you because God's word said it and he's got, he's got godly wisdom, wisdom from above and it's not worldly wisdom. Because if I'm not pursuing peace with you, if I'm pursuing conflict, if I'm pursuing strife and, and contention, if I'm, if I'm having a word war with you, if I am quarreling with you, that is demonic in nature. Take it up with God. It's his word, not mine. Study to show yourself approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed who correctly handles the word of God. Study it. I'm right. I'm gonna pursue peace with everything I have because it's, world, it's not worldly wisdom, it's godly wisdom, and it will keep me at peace. Doing it my way gets God to not resist me, and when, when he doesn't, he resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble, and baby, I need me some grace to do what he's called me to do. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. See, that's not a good message. We don't like to hear that anymore in the church. Rhea, that's works. No, that's God's word. Flip back over if you can really quickly just to John. First John, I think it is. I don't have it in my notes, so let's just go back and look. I think it's First John 3. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, verse 21. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because, see, here's what I love, how we, whatever you ask, you'll receive from God. You can ask anything and he'll give it to you. No, 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 no. <laughs> whatever we ask, we'll receive from him. Why? Here's a because. If you highlight your Bible or you write in it, circle that word because. Because. Why are you going to get what you ask of him? Because. You keep his commandments. I think that's holiness. 
and you do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You see, uh, some people would say, Ria, that holiness stuff is Old Testament. No, this is 1 John 3. I'm pretty sure that's New Testament. And he says, you need to do the things that are pleasing to him. You need to keep my commandments. He says, this is how I know you love me. You'll keep my commandments. But see, we just are like, I'm saved by grace. I don't need to keep his commandments. What Bible are you reading? Yes, you're saved by grace. Yes, you're kept by grace. Yes, nobody can snatch you out of his hand. Yes, you can die and go to heaven because you are saved by grace. But I promise you, there is something to be said about living in a way that's pleasing to God. There is something to be gained. You see, the Bible says that the righteousness, <laughs> obedience will always lead to righteousness. And righteousness will yield a harvest in your life. I want a harvest, but here's what gets even better. Stay with me. I'm closing but look at this flip back over uh, to um, Hebrews 12 pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord you say well Rhea I'm not living at peace with my brother and I'm not really super holy but I'm going to heaven and I'm going to see the Lord yep you're absolutely right because you're saved by grace okay are we on the same page but here's what he says Pursue peace with one another and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That word see there, oh, this is so good. That word see is where we get our word optimal. <laughs> it means to have an accurate view of God, an unobstructed view of God. Oh, Tom, this is good. Because you see what happened to me all summer long? I got an obstructed view of God. I didn't have an optimal view of God because I was not pursuing peace and I was not pursuing holiness. If I had died, I promise you, I still would have gone to heaven. But, but I'm telling you, I got my view of God obstructed. I wasn't seeing him clearly because I was not pursuing peace with one another and I sure was not pursuing holiness. And without which, I can't get an optimal view of God. You say, well, Rhea, you're too hard on yourself. How much holiness do you really need? Dave and I were having this conversation today at lunch, and, and I was talking to him about how I was so grateful that, that God had, had just really got a hold of my heart because I would not have been able to start Bible study tonight. I will not stand in that pulpit and preach just to preach a message. For those of you that are here for the first time tonight, one thing I will always promise you is that I will not preach for the sake of preaching. I will not put a, a sermon together to wow you. I could do it, I promise you. I could do, you know, three points and a joke. Isabella, I could make you laugh your, your, your pants off, but, but, but that is not my purpose in that pulpit. That pulpit should be changing you. It should not be entertaining you. And you see, I could put a sermon together. I said, Davey, I could have put a sermon together and come in here and preach to you. And I could have put a spiritual facade up. I could have been a counterfeit, but I refuse to do that. And those of you who have never been here before, I promise you with all my heart and soul, you will never see that happen. I will never pretend to be something I am not for the sake of entertaining you and getting numbers in this place. That will never ever happen and 
so we were talking at lunch today, and, and Dave said, Rhea, why couldn't you do that? Because you, you really have an obligation to teach, and, and you have this Bible study, and why would you not have started Bible study if you hadn't come out of that place? And I said, Davey, because I need an optimal view of God. I need an unobstructed view of God. So when I'm in that pulpit and he says, change this, it's unobstructed. I can hear him. Well, when I'm in that pulpit and he says, Rhea, I want you to go lay your hands on that person and pray with them, I have a, a, an, ultimate, an ultimate view of God, an optimal view of God that, that is not obstructed by my garbage. And it's never perfect. Hear me say I'm not perfect. I'm a long way from perfect. But you see, I'm going to habitually practice. That's what that means. Somewhere in my notes, it's there. I've got to just find that because that's too good to pass up and then I promise I'm going to close. But that word, uh, habitually, uh, that just gets me. Uh, I need to just find it here. Oh, Lord. Nope, I can't. But I'm not going to habitually practice a sin. I, I promise you I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I will not habitually practice one and step into that pulpit. If I would have had to preach to you in July, I canceled my engagements because I was not going to preach when I was in that shape. But now look, I want you to see this. Just flip over to one more chat, one more thing, and then I promise I'm done. This is so good. carefully. Oh, I've got to find it, Lord. Where's that passage? Team, does anybody have their notes from the last time I talked to you? And we talked about bishoping your soul. Does somebody have it? I just feel like I'm supposed to just talk a minute about that. So, oh, here it is. Yeah, that's the same passage I'm talking to you about. The next verse, 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That word, looking carefully. Do you know that that's where we get our word bishop? It means to oversee. It means to inspect. A bishop of a church oversees the church. He, he inspects. He, he guides. He, 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 he oversees them. Are you with me? And that's the same word. And what it means is that you and I have a responsibility to bishop our soul, to watch over it and say, what is inside of me? What have I allowed in my life? Have I let that bitter envy in my life? Dear ones, let me ask you tonight. Have you let bitter envy in your life? Are you right now full of strife and contention with somebody? Are you bickering and quarreling with somebody? Do you have that war and that fight going on inside of you? Are you self-seeking? Are you trying to promote yourself? Is it all about you? Are you living for your pleasures and your lust? Do you feel entitled for, to seek and run after the lust of your flesh? We need to bishop our souls. We need to look carefully. We need to look into our life. Examine me, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me. What are we letting into our lives? You say, well, Rhea, it doesn't matter. I'm dying and going to heaven. Rock on with your bad self. I was dying and going to heaven this summer, but I was about as miserable as could be, was I not, Leslie? Miserable. 
because I let that stuff in my heart. And I wasn't bishoping my soul. I wasn't looking inward and saying, Rhea, what are you letting in your life that's corrupting you, that's causing God to resist and oppose you? Oh, can I tell you, there's nothing more miserable than being in a place where God puts his hand out and says, I'm going to resist you. I'm going to oppose you until you surrender because I love you too much to let that stuff in your life. Some of you he's dealing with right now about that. Maybe you're in a place of contention with your spouse. Maybe you're in a place of contention with one of your children. Maybe somebody in this room you're in a place of contention or strife with. Maybe you're like me and somebody did you dirty and you are allowing unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and hatred to well up inside of you and you haven't been bishoping your soul properly and you're miserable. Thank the Lord he made me miserable. Thank the Lord he opposed me. Pursue holiness, peace with one another, without which no one will see the Lord, have an optimal view of the Lord. Looking carefully, inspecting your soul day in and day out. Lord, is there anything in me? Is there anything in me that's not pleasing to you? Because Lord, I, I want to be able to ask and not ask amiss. because I keep your commandments and I live a life that's pleasing to you. Maybe you don't care. Maybe all you care about is getting to heaven. You're saved by grace. You'll get there. But man, I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. I do. I said to Davy today, I don't care to step in the pulpit and just preach a message. If what I'm preaching isn't transforming your life, don't come back. You see, I believe that when I am walking in a place with the Lord, when I have an optimal view of him, that what's coming out of my mouth is going to rock your world, it's going to transform your life, that this body, maybe not the body, uh, the church as a whole out there, but I can promise you this body right here, I will never get in that pulpit and not have an optimal view of God because I need it too much to be able to present the word in its fullness. And watch the power of God transform lives. This week, will you bishop your soul? Will you inspect it? Will you oversee it? Will you go home tonight and take an inventory and say, Lord, what have I allowed in my life? What have I given place to the enemy to cause a war inside of me? What lust, what passion, what desires are screaming for attention in me that I am giving place to that's causing God to oppose me. Will you take that challenge this week and go out and ask God to return to you an optimal view of him? Dog down peace with others. I'm going to chase it with everything I have. You can be nasty, mean to me, but I promise I'm going to chase, I'm going to pursue peace. Not because you deserve it, 
because, baby, I want an optimal view of God, and ain't no way I'm giving you any power to influence that in my life anymore. Right? So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you resist us to get us to surrender. I thank you, Father, for wisdom from above that's peaceable, that's pure, doesn't have any fault in it, that produces good fruit in our life. Lord, I want good fruit in my life. I know that the men and women sitting here tonight want good fruit in their life. They want good offspring. Lord, teach us to hate what you hate to hate the, the offspring that is, is rotten in our life. Teach us, Lord, to pursue holiness so that our view of you is not obstructed. You don't change. You're always there. You're never going to leave us, but our view gets obstructed by the junk in our life. And so, Father, wash us afresh and anew tonight. Forgive us, Lord, for chasing after the lovers of this world, for preferring those things. Lord, I preferred my unforgiveness to you this summer. I preferred my hatred to you this summer. I preferred my anger to you this summer, Lord. All my affections, all my energies went into those things, and as a result, I didn't have the energies I needed for you, Lord. Forgive us, Father for spending our energies and our affections, even, even my unforgiveness. That's where my affections were going. I was devoted to unforgiveness. Oh, Lord God, teach us to bishop ourselves. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea, or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.